0: Today, we sit down with our newest co-host,
1: what
0: Stevie Dugdale, the one, the only, the few and the proud, the Stevie Dugdale. This is Early Music Monday. Okay. I know what you're all thinking. Who's this Stevie character? Stevie is the greatest, and he's kind of unwillingly, sort of, agreed to be on the show. So he is going to be our official new co-host regularly. I'm not going to commit him to every episode, but almost. Thank you. (laughs) So Build in a little... uh... You know, loophole there. A little buffer. little buffer. <laughs> so Stevie is, for those of you listening, Stevie is a member of Sound of Ages. He is a, an amazing singer, vocalist, conductor. Has a, gr- a great deal of composition skill as well. And, uh, but yeah, so I'm going to let Stevie introduce himself, tell his story, how he got into music, how he's here now. Why he decided to be on the podcast as an early music appreciator, kind of. A, a very moderate appreciator of early music and why we decided to get together for these episodes. Stevie, take it away. Well
1: that were that was that was that was a lot of uh things to talk about there. So <laughs> yeah. you're gonna have to refresh the, me on that. <laughs> the floor is yours. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh Well, first things first, let's talk about why I'm here. And um, in my mind, I'm here to represent the listener.
0: Hmm.
1: Because I I don't, you probably know, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, I don't know. I'm assuming that most of your listeners are like professionals of some sort, you know, like a choir teacher or a singer or... I think so. I can't imagine like a layman listening to the... Maybe they do, I don't know. I don't know either. If they if do, you, you should write us or something. Yeah,
0: you should definitely send us emails to the choir at gmail.com. If you are not a professional or high enthusiast of early music specifically, you should write us and tell us and we'll make sure that we note that there are people who listen who aren't uh, weirdos.
1: It would be really interesting to see like what kind of, People, I'm assuming it's all, you know, professionals in some capacity. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm here to represent the professionals in some capacity uh, and ask the questions that they would ask and give you someone to discuss to. Because let's be honest, you, my friend, are one nerdy dude. (laughs) Wow. And Yeah, you're right. Early music is cool. It's very cool. And it can be cool. Sometimes you just kind of go down these little tunnels and... And you know, there's no coming back.
0: So. I'm really curious. I was really curious of where you're gonna go with that. It's like you started, and you're like, "Huh? Am I about to insult every listener by saying that?" Oh, I definitely it's, don't
1: want to insult the listener. I want to insult you mostly.
0: No, it's just fair. And and Stevie and I's relationship is such to where my love language is roasts. So when someone roasts me, Thou that's how I know they really love me. Be
1: roasted. <laughs> anyway, so you know, you, when you go off on a tangent on why you know Bird is. The greatest, whatever of you know, rondo form or whatever, you know, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, but why do I care? I, representing the listeners, get to actually ask,
0: why should I care? I like that, you know, I think like that, that makes for good convos. That's, uh, yeah, that's short for conversation. Oh, thanks,
1: but also, um, being a, a sort of professional myself, I can also. You know, I, I can contribute a little bit, and yeah, and you can maybe walk see the walk. it see it from my perspective, and
0: yeah, and I think your perspective is very helpful for especially because so that what Stevie just said illustrates so importantly the point. Um, I had a I had a Zoom call with this uh, composer from the UK today, actually. He's very cool. I won't tell you his name because I'm going to have him on the show in a little bit. I'll leave that little teaser with you. But we talked about early music a little bit and how sometimes it's really easy. And this isn't an insult to the academy, but it's really easy to get this early music is this sacred cow and you don't touch it and er, not sacred music, early music is this sacred cow and if you don't approach it literally exactly the way they did in in the renaissance, then you're not worthy. And so you just stop. And so there's this like wall I feel. And so I think well, they're, they're, yeah, they're tillier, you can right? represent I can I can like see past that wall a little bit and then you kind of represent the side of the wall that most even choral professionals like myself, before I started Sound of Ages, I was that way of like, okay, I don't get early music. It's too it's like those are the 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 greatest of all time musicians. They like They know something I don't. There's this secret knowledge and you have to be initiated and all this other stuff. And that's what, so Stevie can represent that side of the musician spectrum of it's like, I'm actually, he's a professional musician, choral musician. He's brilliant. But he's on the side of the wall that we all approach early music from, which is we know nothing.
1: Well, and I I should clarify, I do do like early music. I like, you know, I like it. I enjoy it. I sing it all the time, mostly because you make me. <laughs> but um, You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, and I've grown to appreciate it. I just haven't quite reached the level of obsession as you have. And I, I'm interested, if I if I could, you know, like maybe you can yeah, take me by the hand and lead me to the obsession. Yes. That'd be kind of fun, you know?
0: Right. And th- I think that's the goal of the group as a whole, that for the audience members, they feel like, hey the dead composer shows up on the program and you don't like groan in dread it's like oh my really this guy again where's the new stuff where's the whitaker where's the eschenwalds where's the ola yelo you know where's all those guys mm-hmm. when it's like yeah okay that's cool and those those guys have that effect on the program for a reason but we can make the dead guys have the same effect too to where basically the entire concert is mind blowing
1: well, I think actually one of the things that intrigues me the most about this this whole subject and you and your experience specifically is I've had a, I've had a lot of personal experience with uh, Cameron's choir, to the listeners here, uh, and I mean his uh, high school choirs. Mm. I was his student teacher when he was at the junior high, and then I...
0: Those were days never to be forgotten.
1: Yes. And then I have kind of followed him to the high school. I come and do clinics all the time, and... Like, today I walked into the room, and the whole classroom, meals, Stevie's here. And, I, you know, it just kind of made me feel good. Like, that's how often I go. Yeah. I go enough that they all know me, and it's really exciting. But one thing that always gets me about those guys is, like, today they did a Vaughn Williams, and uh, they whipped out this music, and they're all sight-reading it, and it's really cool. But then they're all, like, excited because it's Vaughn Williams, you know? Yeah, not, yeah. It's not, not because it's cool music, not because it's, you know... Fun it's because it's that dead guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've seen him like like I was like, okay, let's let's do uh I don't know, whatever piece and they're like, Oh the talus <laughs> But I called it by its name, but it's not that, it's the talus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So somehow he has indoctrinated these high schoolers and Cameron, I wanna be indoctrinated, buddy.
0: Okay, dude, I am I am all aboard the indoctrination train. Everyone says don't brainwash kids. Well, someone's going to, so it <laughs> might as well be you. I just will. So I'm all about uh, indoctrination but, with early music, but, but at the same time, I'm going to push back.
1: Not, not like intentionally push back. No, yeah. I will I will naturally let my push back
0: push back. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's the best part. So I hope that for everyone listening, this this dynamic is. I don't know. I think it's way more intriguing to listen to. Instead of listen to me ramble about stuff, I'm still going to ramble about stuff. You're pretty good at rambling. but You you are? You are. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it, yeah. Thank you. Stevie can ramble, too, really well. And it's like good, epic rambling. You
1: probably already noticed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's, there's always a, it's kind of like, okay, never mind. That's probably too far off the ramble train. But it's good. It has good direction. That's all I'll say. So, Stevie, how did you decide, you know, what I want to do to make my living? To, like, in order for me to obtain food, I'm going to <laughs> produce in society this thing is music. How did you come to that decision?
1: Um, well, there <laughs> is an extremely long version to this story. <laughs> but let's uh, let's try to summarize it here. I grew up a, a, like a full-on jock, like Dude. sports head, which is another reason we we get along. Yeah. Because uh, I, I was football, baseball, wrestling, swimming, you know, track. I even tried track, but if you've seen me, it just does not make sense.
0: <laughs> well, and track is silly anyway, because it's like, there's no, there's no goal, there's no ball. Just, just like run. to run faster? Yeah. What is that?
1: The shirt, your sport is my punishment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which is what this was my attitude towards track. No, no offense yeah. to anyone who does track because I actually have mad respect for it. Continue.
1: Uh, anyway, so I was full on jock, and then um, uh, one day I was playing tag with some friends. I was like, I don't know, whatever age freshmen in high school are, Fourteen. 15. Fourteen, Thank you. Uh, and I was playing tag, and this girl was it. Her name was Jessie, and she was chasing me, and I was like, nice. I was like on the, I was a running back, you know, and I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not gonna let this. Girl, catch me! So I ran as fast as I could. I was on my at my neighbor's house, and I jumped off his deck, but I tripped on the banister, oh. and turns out it was like a fifteen foot drop, and I landed on my arm and like snapped it in half, and, and it was it was really really bad. So, I did not know
0: this story. Yeah. So then wow. I went,
1: uh, you know, I obviously took a couple of days off, and I uh, went just to a couple uh, days. Though. Just a couple of days. <laughs> I went to school in my really intense cast because my arm did not work. Uh, and I went up to the coach and I was like, hey, I I, I did this. <laughs> he just looks at me. He's like, well, seriously? All right. Well, hand me your pads. <laughs> he was also the baseball coach. He was actually really mad at me for other reasons that I won't get into. But um,
0: So he's like good riddance.
1: In, in short, my, my football and baseball career specifically were just kind of over, pretty much overnight because I jumped off a deck
0: running oh. from a girl, of all things. Man, I have I have you know how many times I listened to my dad who was my coach until I graduated high school say, "Okay, no e- extreme sports all season, please." <laughs> the every season, every sport. "Okay, we got a big tournament coming up. No one go swimming, no nothing crazy." And I'm having PTSD as if that was me because I'm like, "Oh my gosh, dad, I'm sorry. Sorry, that was Stevie. It was it's not even me."
1: Uh, so I, you know, the coach handed me my. Or he made me hand me hand him my pads, and it was really yeah. kind of like a big pinnacle emotional moment for me because, like, yeah. my whole I, I was planning on going pro. Yeah. Which you know I'm like I'm like five foot seven. So. Dude, you could have done it. Of course, Clyde edwards hilaire on the Chiefs. Did, yeah. None of our listeners know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, just go. I'm, Clyde edwards hilaire on the Chiefs is five foot eight, and he's like the, one of the best running backs in the league. And I'm like, see? I could have gone pro. See. You anyway but luckily I didn't because uh, I went to school. I had no idea what to do. This guy from my church was like, hey, the musical needs boys. And I'm like, what? No, man, I don't do that, I'm not gonna sing. I never sung a note in my life. I didn't even sing in church on Sundays. You just kind of mumble you right everything. through the hem. And uh, uh. anyway, he ended up getting the entire theater department, boys, girls, and faculty, to surround me at lunch. And they, like, did this weird, like, chant thing, like, audition, audition, just do it. You can do it. We need you. You're going to be great. And out of, like, pure peer pressure, I was like, just stop it. So I went to the auditions, and I was a suitor in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Next thing you know, I'm on stage, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Uh, But quickly, I found, and I remember the the moment very specifically. I was in the, uh, the shop room, you know where they, like, build the set pieces? Yeah, yeah. And, um, the, the teacher, Mr. Holt, he had, the suitors had this little, like, song that we did, it was like half a song, and there was this one moment, and I'm talking like four measures, where there was a trio, yeah. that sang in harmony, all the rest of the time it was just like, unison, a acapella, yeah. maybe not even, a, just nonsense, it was just horrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, Anyway, he had to sing this, so he said, "You sing this, and you sing this, and you sing this." You sing this you know. <laughs> it probably was parallel. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember we sang it. Yeah. And like, I guarantee it was horrendously out of tune. It was awful. It was you know horrible by all accounts. But I looked at those guys, and it was like some angel had smacked me in the <laughs> face, and I was like, "What
0: did I just experience?" <laughs> the answer was harmony. <laughs> Harmony smacked, which is great because we've spent so many episodes of this podcast talking about harmony being secondary to counterpoint and line. But I'm all about in harmony. my haste, it definitely it is. There's a very fine balance. I feel like you're standing on a balance board, you know that little the little cylinder thing in the middle, and you're like surfing on the balance board. And one leg is harmony, and one leg is line and melody. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, but anyway, so that's freaking legit. So many smacks D V in the face. It was
1: and you know, and then to make the rest of the story very short, I ended up joining the actual school choir and then I joined like all of the school choirs and did the honor choirs, state choirs. And at some point, I was like, you know what? This is super fun. Actually, it was a director in one of those all-state choirs. Yeah. And I was like, that guy was so inspiring. I want to do that for people. Dude, that's I want to inspire people. I want to do this. I looked up what his resume said, and it said, go get a degree in vocal performance. then get a master's in choral conducting and a doctorate in choral conducting. Mm. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. So I applied for vocal performance, uh, got in at BYU, decided I did not enjoy that. Switched to Music Ed, and that was a great decision. (laughs) So I got a degree in Music
0: Ed. Nice. And uh everybody who goes to school and does music ed I feel has like a niche. You know, like, and I kinda got this like I had when I was under under an undergrad doing my music ed, my niche was composition. It's kind of it's kind of still that a little bit, even though I have this other niche of early music, but it in terms of like something else I do, not just the rep that I choose, but the other outside thing, my niche is kind of this composition, whatever. What would you say your niche is? Um. Well... Or you can pick a couple. Like, yeah, I, I guess I, you don't even need one.
1: If I had to narrow it down to two, I would say like harmony, mm-hmm. intonation, you know, in general, chords, just how... Like, like they, just intonation. Just kind of intonation, how they interact with, you know, each other and the different yeah. voices. I just, I'm obsessed with different types of tuning and... You know, I just love it all, and that's kind of what I live for in a choral experience. It's just yeah. just those rich chords. Yeah. Uh, but also, and this is more of a recent thing, like the last three or four years, mm-hmm. uh, vocal technique. Yeah. I just, I just have become obsessed with pedagogy in general. Yeah. How to teach complicated principles, you know, with ease, and how to make, you know, really hard things seem, seem not so hard, and how to people at any level i kind of pride myself that i feel like whether it's true or not i feel (laughs) like i can help anyone progress you know whether they're a beginner or a professional yeah anywhere in between with their vocal production yeah just because you know i enjoy it so much and i feel like i have strategies for it
0: and i'm I'm sure it's not yeah but the cool thing about stevie is the, the the hilarious thing about so stevie and i met I'll tell our our story really quick. We uh, I was doing my... I know, it's very cute. Our story. our story. We need a song, too. It needs to be like... What would our song be? Our song would be like a Pulak song. It's like all over the place and random and not serious. Um, <laughs> I disagree. What would, our, what would our song be? I
1: don't know. Just pick a better composer.
0: <laughs> Pulak's amazing. Okay. Just Waldo. But the... Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, um, I was doing my master's at BYU and conducting. Stevie was finishing his undergrad. And so my three years in my master's were Stevie's last years of his undergrad. And we stood, I stood to the right of Stevie in choir every year. And so, and we were just like, it was like instant. it was kind of like what Eric Whitaker and Tony Silvestri talked about in the last couple episodes of other like instant best friends and partners in crime and like, collaborators in their art form. That's the way Steve and I were. We would just sit. I had the key code to Dr. Andrew Crane's office as a grad student. And so we'd just sit in his office and talk about, I wonder what would happen if you did this. And, you know, what about this voice technique thing? And we would just, like, ner- we'd play chords for each other, do, like, dictations. Is the nerdiest thing. Dictation you'd, like, for fun. He'd, like, n- name this chord. Okay, that's a dominant seven, second inversion. Hey, we are, we are really good <laughs> We got freaking, it was like sharp 11 like what is happening anyway I highly recommend you finding a friend you can do that with dictation
1: for fun is legitimately fun it is so
0: fun it's awesome so so then uh, but I just remember hearing I would we would do stuff like when we were on tour or something and I'd hear Stevie warm up or like do some kind of thing with his voice and he was just making weird sounds he didn't really practice he just experimented a lot with what his voice sounded and felt like but he never sang like notes really. He just got like <laughs> this yelling, moaning squeal <laughs> of a dude just like making all these random sounds and I was like, What in the world is he doing? But when I like tapped into Stevie's method of practicing, I realized there's like no better way to understand and learn about your voice than to stop singing and just make sounds. It's like mind blowing. So we'd like, we'd, like, give each other, like, voice, well, I'm saying like a lot because I teach high school students. I apologize. I caught myself. I'm disgusted. I want to throw up. But we would basically quasi give each other voice lessons, more him giving me lessons and me kind of being like, yeah, you sound good. <laughs> 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 That's kind of how it would pan out. But, but, yeah, it was the best. So how did you come to that method of practice? How did I
1: come? I don't think I've ever thought about that. Um, oh, you know what? I think I can actually trace it back to a class I took in my undergrad,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for by Dr. Susan Kenny. Mm. I love her to death. Uh, she teaches a child like a child music development class. Yeah, uh, and it was a really really fun class. We actually got it that they ran a, a music preschool on Saturdays, and it was Whoa. entirely run. By members of the class. The students? Yeah, we just like traded off. It was super fun. Sweet. Uh, Anyway, but one of the the units in that was how to teach kids like the very first principles of singing. Yeah. I remember very distinctly that one of them was called vocal play. Mm. And she went on this, I think she spent a whole day on it. Yeah. Just talking about the benefits of vocal play. How just uh, them experimenting with their voice um, teaches them how to use it. Because yeah. so so many times, and applying that to us, I think so many times we get into our our one sound, and yeah. we try to make like these microscopic modifications. When mm. you know, I, I don't know, just speaking hypothetically, it's, you're trying to like change your your tongue position or whatever, yeah. and you're literally trying to move your tongue, like like a, a, a millimeter like the, yeah. the difference it can make is insane yeah but you are completely missing that your soft palate is doing something weird or your larynx is you know in whatever position or your <laughs> yeah. you know like there's so many different areas of your voice that it's can, like so interconnected that, that drastically affect it that you're trying to make this micro change when there's another change entirely that could help it but you've just never played with it so yeah you're unfamiliar so I think because of doing it that I now feel like I'm very 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 versatile yeah in, in most styles, which I, I, maybe tying this back to early music, maybe that's one of the reasons people find early music difficult. Maybe it's difficult for them to sing. Yeah. Because it's different than, right. you know, like a Elaine Hagenberg or, or Whitaker or something. Right,
0: this contemporary aesthetic. Yeah. And I think that's super, okay, so I think that you should be able to, okay, Pause. There are. There's two schools of thought. Well, there's really one school of thought from the academy, in terms of academia, scholars, early music scholars, and there's some pretty substantial evidence that they're right that bel canto style singing, this low larynx, high soft palate, round, warm sound, was not the aesthetic of the Renaissance time that it was actually relatively a high larynx position relatively i say high laryngeal position bright primal kind of raw sound that but it was but it wasn't i don't know when we first hear that we think of kind of not necessarily the most pleasing sound but in their documents they talk about how it needs to be a smooth beautiful sound so it's not like this harsh intense, ha, sound, but it's definitely brighter than this Bel Canto-style thing. So there's that side where it's the historically, like, historically informed performance practice, H-I-P-P, hip. And then there's this idea of, okay, well, how are we going to practically teach good, healthy vocal production using this rep? Because I, I think, personally, you mm. should be able to make... Minor adjustments, once you get the foundation down of using the air, using the space, the air and the space to do the work for you, the end. Like it's air through a tube. And then you make minor modifications to that depending on your aesthetic. You should be able to adjust to whatever. And that there's no reason why, okay, you have a heavier voice or a thicker heavy voice. There's no reason why you still can't sing renaissance music. It doesn't have to be this... Light, thin boy soprano sound, yeah. or whatever. Just but I don't listen,
1: know. Just listen to, you know, Tenebrae bass sections and anything <laughs> <laughs> early yeah, music. Yeah. they got this <laughs> cute, like this monster. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, why are why are you making that choice? <laughs> right, right, right.
0: Obviously, it sounds incredible, but yeah, no. So, so talk through how how what adjustments do you make when you're doing stylistic things. And how do you go about navigating those differences as a singer? Like, what do you physically feel? Okay, when I do this, this is kind of what I'm going for. This is what I'm feeling or listening for. And then when I do this style, this is what I'm feeling or listening for. Uh, well, I think that always,
1: it, it always ties back to the singers around me mm. as, as well as my director. Like, what does the director actually want? Sure. You know, which... Sometimes they don't, maybe they don't know what they want, or I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, but the, the singers around me, I think, um, they influence my sound yeah. a lot. And this is why I, I always find it difficult to sing next to people who aren't, you know, professionals. And part of me thinks that I should be able to, like, always sing with perfect technique, even if... There's, right. there's imperfect technique, in my ear, and it's it's unfair because no one sings with truly perfect technique. Right. Um, but like, if the guy next to me, for example, is is really, you know, has wider vowels, then it's like, fine, I'll do that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I think because the oh, well, we could we could spend a whole episode or four <laughs> on the concept of blend, but which we will. I sure we should. aka
0: teaser for teaser. everyone out there. We will talk about blend. Tune in to episode fifty nine. Blend. Nice. We're on episode fifty two, oh, so I totally guessed the number. Seven episodes from now. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> committed. No, it's gonna be sooner. <laughs> Even more committed.
1: Uh anyway, but you know, if the guy next like if if for example in Sound of Ages, if yeah if Dr. Andrew Crane, DMA, is standing to my left, <laughs> I make different noises than if uh, you know, Sam Neff yeah. uh, is to my oh, right. Oh
0: my gosh, the like widest you just you just described like the two polar opposite voice types. Yeah, but they're both fantastic. Time. Yeah, how do you navigate? They just have different colors. Yeah, and
1: that's that's why I think that that malleability is important. Yeah, because I feel perfectly comfortable singing ex- either of those guys. Yeah, um, it's just you know when we again when we talk about blend deeper, but
0: right, yeah, that's that's tricky. But again, the sensations are so subtle. But I think just like experimenting with it, I like the vocal play idea of just like, just play around with your voice and see what it can do and see how it feels. I think that that's such a mental game. Well, it's like,
1: what happens if I push this button? Yeah, yeah. What does this button do? And then you get
0: so caught. But if you won't take those chances, if you're like most musicians where you're like, I can't sound bad. Like, if you can't get over that mental wall of having to sound perfect, you'll never make it first of all because you don't sound the way you think you do <laughs> and yeah. then, then like so how do you uh, you know that's that's kind of the name of the game in, to some extent. Um, so then with that when you're saying okay because this is again something with early music we're kind of shifting gears that's Stevie's expertise and we're gonna we're gonna get into the weeds with actually how to sing and how to sound good often. To be more than just like an episode. I think that's going to be one of the main lenses through which Stevie, yeah, Stevie sees things through that lens. You know, I see things through a composer lens or a conductor lens, and see. Stevie sees it a lot through the vocal, it's the voice the lens, the sound
1: of it in general. Yeah,
0: yeah, like the timbre itself. You know, and uh, but going onwards to this concept of early music. What would you describe? I'm very curious. This is pure. There's no right answer. This is like a pure, uh, my curiosity question. Of if you had to dis- to like pick, like three to five musical elements. Like if you put musical concepts on a periodic table of what are like the basic building blocks of music, what are some of the most important elements of early music? Can you give me a couple examples of? Yeah, it's like it's like. Time is an element because how do you organize time? time? Harmony, melody, rhythm, this yeah, those kind of okay. things. or yeah, the, like the concept of line or texture, you know, okay, so all are, kinds of things.
1: What are the defining features of early
0: music? Yeah, what do you, like for, just from your perspective, just off the bat, your knee jerk reaction when you think early music, you think uh, knee jerk
1: <laughs> is harmony, honestly, because mm. at that point they didn't have. They weren't using fancy, fancy chords. They were using, you know, mostly diatonic. You know, they used some secondary dominants. Yeah. You know, so the, the harmony, harmonic language of the time distinguishes yeah. it for me.
0: Yeah. Nice. Cool. Um, Interesting. Time, yeah, it's totally real. Yeah, Continue.
1: Time, for me as well, hmm. I this is probably going to show my ignorance, but I feel like every time I sing a Renaissance piece, one of the hardest things... Is the the timing and rhythm. You yeah. Know, it's like, if you seem Baroque and it's like, I never, ever, ever mess up the rhythm. <laughs> or classical, it's like the rhythms, it's like, da, 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 da. you know, it's like fine. <laughs> but you get to these so like, weird, like, hemiolas and the, it's like two, it's in two, two or something. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, what is, I don't do two, two. Like, I'm a. Sweet, I don't read half notes. What is the. Half, you know. <laughs> And, uh, uh, it's, you and you just get, no, but you just get lost because there's no, there aren't like normal references. Like normally, right. the, the cadences occur cleanly on beat one in most yeah. music, but not early, early music. It's like the, the it can happen on any beat. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna do it on two now. And it's okay, fine. <laughs> where are you cadencing to? So it's, what harmony? Are it's, you one cadencing those, on? it's one of those types of music where if you get lost, it's, it's, it takes multiple measures to get back.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: You know, even like for per. For, you know, professionals, it's just like, okay, like you got to make sure rhythm, timing,
0: you are like all over it or it's going to go poorly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good because I would have thought different things when I first, but I think I would have gone to like melody, melodic line. But melodic line, the concept of line being really important, I think is one of those elements that the Renaissance established and it stayed strong throughout. You know, where it's yeah, like that. that is something that is directly tied to the, the Renaissance started this and it never went away. Whereas if you're looking for distinguishing characteristics, I totally agree. That harmonic color of these open sonorities, right? Like open, cadencing on open sonorities, perfect triads, a lot of root position stuff. The dissonances are simple. That always kind of, not always, but most of the time, resolve properly. Yeah, they're like you almost know. always suspensions or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Something temporary. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I think if you're distinguishing, I think I think you're spot on. And then, yeah, time. If you think about the fact that there were no bar lines in their music and that you had the tenor part book and you stood around a giant book as big as your torso and you and all the other tenors gathered in a huddle and read from the tenor book... Yeah, which and be the so... alto book was right next to you. And the altos were huddled around.
1: So you're not... Well, and because I'm such a harmony-driven yeah. musician, that method is so challenging for me. Yeah. Because, like, again, like if you get off, it's like, how do you even know? The... <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, there's no way of telling. That's why you know all my choir students, when I first tell them, it's like, you do know, right, that orchestra students just on the other side of that wall there don't have all the parts in front of them, they have their part only. so when count. they have measures of rest, they're actually watching the conductor counting. <laughs> that's why you guys suck at rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, that's why I suck at rhythm because <laughs> they totally know, but it's the same concept of man it's it's a you are mentally engaged all the time, and you have to be on it and yeah cause how do you get back on? so yeah, I think that's cool. I think those are really good distinguishing features.
1: Another one that I thought of, and this is, um, well, it's that nobody knows what to sound like, Mm -hmm. which is not that's not a distinguishing feature of early music. That's a distinguishing distinguishing feature of us trying to perform early music. Yeah, it's like you could have the same. You could have Thomas Tallis. If you love me, you could find five hundred recordings of it, and not. Two of them sound the same.
0: Yeah, even if it's all from choirs from the same region or country. Like, all those UK choirs all do it, you know, subtly different. Exactly. and.
1: So that's your job, Cameron. Unify the sound. Or well, maybe not.
0: <laughs> wow. There's
1: that deeper is... discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Or at maybe least not. Maybe, we, maybe put out, like, a book on options.
0: Yeah. Here are three maybe appropriate we... options. Yeah, and back it up with some scholarly things. Or just make a collection of research about sound aesthetic. Because, yeah, I mean... Uh, in a couple episodes, we're going to have Jesse Roden on the show. He is a Joscan scholar. Uh, he teaches at Stanford University, and he wrote he wrote an article. He actually was actually really kind and sent me a, an article that he's in the drafting process of that he wrote about historically informed performance practice, and he talks specifically about rhythms and vocal production he talks about the bel canto style versus the other thing so it'd be really fascinating to get him on and say okay well what do you say then we 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 have this lens of historically informed and then we have this practical well what's the aesthetic today and what's gonna quote-unquote sell today what's pleasing today and how do you how do you um, reconcile those two parts you know i think that's an interesting question that i really want to ask him because it place to your point of okay, well his scholars, his his research leads him to say this, but there's other scholars that lead to say well, you do whatever you do because that's what they did they were just really practical, so they just sang in the style of the day when do you balance, I don't know I think it's super cool fa- conversation that I really want to hear his thoughts on.
1: Well, and then some of it I obviously yes, I also want to have this conversation it sounds very interesting, but I, sometimes I, I kind of take a step back and I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what? If Giswaldo like appeared right next mm-hmm. to us, yeah, like right now, his first thought would be like, it's what year? You're still singing my music? <laughs> like, I don't think... He, Dude,
0: move on. <laughs> like,
1: well, even, or I was just like, I don't care what it sounds like, it's still around, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, that's like, true.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think there's a great <laughs> homage, respect, just like, you know, we're just doing it. And I think you have to, there's so, like a billion factors of, where are you singing? Are you singing in an awesome big cathedral? Totally. Are you in a classroom made of cardboard? Yeah, it called totally Spanish Fort Junior it. High. <laughs> <laughs> they like students in the back sticking pencils in the ceiling because the risers in the floor go higher, but the ceiling doesn't. So <laughs> those ninth grade boys are getting as tall as the ceiling and just like shoving pencils in there. But, you know, so you just, yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. So, I think that's a great stopping point for today's episode, and uh, a great introduction to, to Stevie and his brilliance. This is also, you are all hearing, the first live, in-person interview oh, yeah. of Early Music Monday.
1: This will not become a normal thing, <laughs> because
0: I don't live here. He lives in Missouri.
1: but. Yeah. I happen to be in Utah right now, so (laughs) we record in person. But normally I will be...
0: (laughs) Via Zoom, and it's going to be awesome. But maybe someday in the future. You never know what might happen. So, uh, Stevie, any parting words of wisdom? Um, Just that I'm excited. This is a cool opportunity.
1: I have a lot of questions. Sweet. Luckily, we have a lot of episodes to answer them. (laughs) (laughs) Hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. And... uh, I think I think we're going to have some interesting discussions. I would I would personally really like to hear from listeners um if you know like what they do.
0: Yeah. Are they, are you awesome. all
1: are every are every one of you choir teachers? Are you all Yeah. professional singers? Are you all like musicology majors, you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I would be too cuz we can really cater start to really cater our conversations towards the audience uh in a much more you know, intentional way.
1: Well, yeah. If they're if every one of them is a musicology major, then maybe we won't talk about vocal technique. <laughs> you
0: know? I mean, like what do they care? <laughs> Especially if their their main instrument was uh hurdy gurdy <laughs> or uh, harpsichord. It's mm-hmm. like cool, bro. Uh, well, be sure to give us a rating. Five stars is the the only acceptable, real acceptable rating. Let's be real, and uh, yes. share. Subscribe, like, comment, review. How do you comment? I don't know actually. Like on <laughs> on the Facebook posts of the little things, you know. Oh, like, of the okay, little okay, teaser here, here. things, okay, yeah, or on Insta. There you go. So I guess you should be more specific. This is why Stevie's here because I don't. I need so much guidance in my life. Oh hey, actually, two questions
1: to maybe clarify before we continue. Yeah. What do you define as early music? You maybe you probably established this, but mm. like. Is Baroque early music for you? Yeah, one hundo. All the way to Mozart? Is Mozart early music?
0: I even consider Mozart to be early-ish. Mozart is the literally the out of bounds line.
1: So like Haydn's Fair Game, Beethoven. Kind of Beethoven, Beethoven nah. Oh, okay, all right, all right.
0: Plus I don't I don't really like Beethoven that much. Whoa.
1: I you heard it here first, people. I don't... You yeah. heard it here. I don't like... Um, yeah. I don't remember his name. Who did sold. I don't like Pulik. He doesn't like Beethoven. Man,
0: but... But anyway... I like Beethoven. For the Beethoven. interesting thing... So this is my actual definition of... Er, well, early music strictly is, yeah, like... The first half of Mozart's life... Well, really even to... Yeah, so Mozart and then the first half of Haydn's life... He kind of... Haydn gets He's into switched, the. Yeah. But, and then backwards. Okay, but is that
1: your definition? Or is that like a, an actual definition?
0: I think that's my definition.
1: So, what is like, like, what does the, you know, Dr. Johnson at BYU say yeah. the
0: music is? It's a good question. Cuz in
1: my mind and this is maybe showing my ignorance, I am here to be vulnerable people. So <laughs> if I sound like an idiot, it's probably cuz I
0: am. <laughs> hey, um, I am too. So But that's
1: why I'm here cuz I you know you say early music and I think medieval renaissance.
0: Yeah. I no, don't I but, don't even think baroque. Yeah, baroque is you do, so. Bach, Bach especially too, Bach is widely accepted. Baroque is widely accepted as part of early music. There's a lot of there's a lot of early music ensembles that are instrumental that do a lot of early Baroque and Bach and that sort of thing. So okay. I don't know if they'd get as far to say that Mozart is. Um, okay. I think that's just me. But Baroque for sure is considered early. So you go Baroque and backwards, mm-hmm. that's pretty pretty, that's pretty standard, yeah. Okay. I think. If I'm wrong out there, you just write and tell me. Uh, excuse me. Because, again, I'm I'm still... I may be... What Stevie considers a veteran, but I'm also super new at this because it's been only a couple years of exploring, which is why we're doing this show in the first place. Nice.
1: Explore on camera or yes, on mic. Mike. Mike.
0: <laughs> good. That was an awesome question. You said you had two. Yep.
1: Forgot the other one. So uh, <laughs> nice.
0: That's how this is gonna go. I'll remember and ask it next week. Next week. Oh, Sweet. Okay. We'll see you next time on Early Music Monday.